0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. What a blessing the music has been today, huh? That song. Uh... It's strange. I I feel like after that song, I'm preaching at a funeral. (laughs) And I don't mean that in in a bad way. I mean, it's just, it was singing about the death of Christ. Right? And what he has done for us in that. You know, that was the most unjust thing that ever happened in human history. That the Son of God, the innocent human being, God, holy, pure, dies. For the sins of others. And yet in that death. The most unjust thing that ever happened. He provided. Justice. With respect to us and our sins. We who deserve to pay the penalty for our sins. Don't have to. Because he did. And uh, so this idea of of dying and death. You know it's, it's not a pleasant one. And as a pastor I have to. I have to, the wrong words, I get to be involved with families when they're in that situation, when someone has passed away. And um, it's a privilege to be that closely connected with people in a place that's very tender and very real to them. Um, From a human perspective, though, it's kind of heavy. Like, eh? Uh, But when I do funerals with Christians... Oh man, it's not bad news anymore. In fact, it's good news for the person who has died because they've gone on to heaven to be with the Lord. And it's good news for all of us because we're reminded that Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we can have eternal life with him and we will one day rise with him as well. What good news. Um, I'm reminded of a story of a preacher who was preaching a funeral sermon. And he was talking about how do you want to be remembered? How do you want people to remember you when they come to your funeral? And, and he, uh, you know, the idea that here's the casket, you know, when they come up and walk around. How do you want them to, what do you want them to say about you? And suddenly he stopped, there were three, three men sitting right down here close to the front. And, and he, he just kind of stopped and says, well, what would you want someone to say for, for you guys? If, when they come, your friends, your family, they come and stand before your casket? what would you want them to say? And the first one said, I guess I'd really want them to say that I was a really loving husband and father. And, and then the second one said, well, I think I'd want them to see, be able to say that, wow, he was such a kind and generous person. And the third one said, look, he's moving. (laughs) Now, that's funny because it doesn't happen, right? Uh, And it doesn't happen because death is this overpowering, overwhelming, one-way trip as far as human beings are concerned. But today... And, you know, Jesus, the son of God, did rise from the dead. Are we glad about that? Okay. All right. And so he did rise from the dead and that makes all the difference in the world. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. The Gospels record the story of Jesus rising from the dead. And here we're going to read what the Apostle Paul has to say about it. You know, Jesus hinged his entire ministry on the fact that he was going to rise from the dead. When the religious leaders came and challenged him and said, you know, what sign do you give us that you, you're doing all these things? And he said, here's, here's the sign. The sign is that just as Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, good as dead, I will be dead and buried for three days, three nights. And on the third day, I will rise again. And so he said, that is, that is the sign that would prove what he was doing and who he was. And so the Apostle Paul talks about that as well here. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible with you today, that's fine. There should be one underneath the chairs there in front of you. And we encourage you to follow along if you can. And if not, the, the verses will be on the screen up here behind me. So all right, so chapter 15, verse one. The Apostle Paul, as the Holy Spirit, led him to write this words, He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. The gospel, the good news. That's what that word literally means. So I got good news and this is what I've preached to you. In verse two, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So if you sincerely believe this, truly believe it, you are saved by the message of the gospel. Well, what is that message? Verse three, for I delivered to you First of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And we have more to look at here, but I want to say something to you about this, these two verses. What we just read there can be traced all the way back to those first few years after Jesus died and rose again. It's an early Christian creed. You see, when the, um, um, Jesus rose from the dead and then the apostles after that began preaching the gospel, they didn't have a New Testament yet. It hadn't been written yet. And so how do, you, how do they tell people what they believe? Okay, so they start off with this basic creed, okay? Jesus you know, lived and he died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again and the scriptures have foretold this. And so this is like an early creed. And and we know this because Paul says what? I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And so the Apostle Paul's conversion was anywhere from probably two to four years after Jesus rose from the dead. And it wasn't long after that that he made a trip to Jerusalem and visited with the Apostles. And so we are within about five years of the resurrection of Christ and and Paul is talking to the apostles and this is what they're telling. Here's our creed, this is what we say. In fact, uh, let's read this together, okay? Let's read it, right? For I deliver to you, out loud, that's what I meant, ready? For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, and here's the creed, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That kind of captures it, doesn't it? That captures the basis for all this. Now, why is this so important that we say we take it back within the first few years? It's because there are there are plenty of skeptics who say, "Well, the early Christians didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. That was something the church added later on." It ain't so. Okay, it was around from the very beginning. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So Paul then continues uh, telling us some of the things that he learned. And he says, uh, verse five, and that he was seen by Cephas. That's another name for Peter. He was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. In other words, he, he wasn't around in the beginning there with the 12, but a few years later, Jesus appeared to him alive. Okay? Now, it's an interesting thing here. Uh, it's seen, when he says 500 brethren, some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. But the idea is this. It's kind of like, hey, you want to check this out? There's over 500 people you can go ask. Go ask, find out, okay? And so it's, it's, it can be verified historically. Interesting, verse seven, where he says, he's seen by James. You know who James was? He was Jesus' half-brother, okay? In other words, Jesus was miraculously born. God was his father. But then James was, uh, a, had Joseph uh, as a father. But so he was a half-brother. Now, could you imagine up growing up with Jesus as your brother? He never does anything wrong. Right? And you're the one always getting in trouble. Okay? And, and then, I don't know if it, how it happened, but could you imagine if, if someone came and said, listen, we've learned about your brother. He is the savior of the world. Yeah, right. My brother? Jesus appears to him. And it changes everything for James. And James becomes the early leader of the Christian church. And God used him in mighty and powerful ways. All right, so why does this matter so much? Well, let's read on. You see what Paul says. Let's jump down to verse 12. Paul says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So apparently there were people saying, well, no, this is about this life. There is no resurrection to come. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. No no sacrifice for sins made and accepted by God. Verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The Christians who have already died, they perish. There's nothing after it for them. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Because we're believing all this and it's not true. But then Paul says this, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. Now, how do we know this? What makes us conclude that Jesus really did rise from the dead? Well, there are uh, lots of reasons to do that, but let me just go through quickly eight reasons that lead us to believe, to make that choice to believe that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. Because uh, our faith as Christians is not just built on the words of some holy people who said stuff sometime. Our faith is centered and built on an historical event that we can uh, come to a conclusion actually happened All right? Very, very important. So let's talk about some evidence for the resurrection. The first, it is the most well-attested event in antiquity, in ancient history, the most well-attested. Okay? When you go back in ancient history and you learn about this person in ancient history or that person in ancient history, you might be dealing with one document, two documents, 12, maybe a 100 documents uh, talking about it and showing it. When you get to Christianity, you have thousands of copies of documents and writings and early Christian fathers, all this stuff talking about the resurrection of Jesus. If we can't determine that Jesus rose from the dead, then we can't determine anything in ancient history. Okay, that's the truth. Second, there are multiple eyewitness accounts. The accounts are of eyewitnesses, and these, we, we, can, uh, we know that we have authentic copies. And by the way, we could probably spend an hour on each of these. And I, I'm a preacher, and I was tempted But we're not gonna do that, okay? So I'm going through very quickly. But no, there's a whole lot more that could be said about each of these. So it's multiple eyewitness accounts. Luke says that very pointedly. Yes, I I have eyewitnesses of these things. He went and talked to people to gather his information. Third thing, uh, multiple historical references outside of the the biblical record. There are lots of, of writings out there where this man Jesus is referred to that's not written like scripture. They talk about his disciples and what they believed. Okay, so we have accounts outside of the biblical record. Uh, The tomb was empty. Right? That's a biggie. The tomb was empty. What could the uh, Jewish religious leaders or the Romans done if this was a lie? Produce the body. That's all they had to do, is produce the body. But they couldn't. In fact, you know, this this idea that the disciples stole the body, well, you know who, who said that? It was the the Jewish religious leaders and the the Roman government who couldn't explain the empty tomb and said, let's say that his disciples came and stole him. So, by the way, what we know about his disciples, there was no way they were trying to steal the body from a, a group of Roman soldiers. It just wouldn't have happened. All right, number five, the disciples were convinced. They were absolutely convinced that they had seen the resurrected Christ. Uh, and this becomes very clear because the sixth thing, the disciples were transformed. Their lives were transformed. Uh, they, do you remember where they were the night of Jesus' crucifixion? One, one disciple stayed close, John. Peter tried to stay close and, in the process, denied the Lord three times. And the rest of them were, had run away and were in hiding. And they were still in hiding. Few days later, when the resurrection occurs. Because they are scared, because what are they thinking? Uh, we might be next, right? And and they're all their hopes and dreams, everything they thought, everything had been blown out of the water on them, and so they were this fearful hiding men. But they were transformed. They became bold, they became really powerful in their witness. In fact, so much so that when they were called before the religious leaders there in the book of Acts, and they were telling them, you can't preach in the name of Jesus, and they had them beaten and all that kind of stuff, but the religious leaders of that day couldn't figure out, how can these guys be like, these aren't the same guys. It says, then they remembered that they had been with Jesus. And I gotta tell you, leading, before Jesus rose from the dead, you wouldn't have concluded that about them. It's only because they saw Jesus risen from the dead that they were transformed. You know, they were bold in their witness. Uh, the, the seventh one is that the disciples suffered persecution and death for their belief in the resurrection. I mean, if, if, if you're going to die for something, would you want to die for something that you know is a lie? No? No, in fact, when, if, if, if you're going to be put to death, you fess up, right? I mean, we see it all the time, don't we? We see, you know, a criminal enterprise, you know, one or two or three or more criminals, whatever, and there's one, and one of them gets caught, or two of them gets caught, and what ends up happening? One of them rats on all the rest of them, right? Why? Self-interest. You know, you would you would not choose to say, oh, let's lie about Jesus rising from the dead. Let's lie and say we saw him. Hey, we're gonna beat you and we may kill you. Uh, I second thought, maybe he didn't really rise. You understand? But not them, man. They believed to the very end. And all but one of them were put to death for their preaching of the gospel. They were absolutely convinced. And then finally, the disciples had no motive to lie. Okay? Uh, Not power, not riches, not notoriety or popularity, only suffering and death. That's what they had to gain. You know? None of them. they, They didn't even look for power. Or money. It wasn't even what they were about. And they preached a message that often ran people off instead of making them popular. Okay? So these reasons alone, you know, historically speaking, we have super high probability that Jesus actually did die from the dead. Talking historically. Talking from the point of view of a Christian whose life has been changed. I have absolute certainty that he has risen from The dead, and so this is what Paul is saying, right? If he isn't risen, we're in trouble. But now Christ is risen from the dead, right? He is risen from the dead. Um, The only way that you can deny this is to have a presupposition that well, there isn't a God, and therefore there are no miracles, and therefore. He could not have risen from the dead. And then you have to ignore all the evidence anyway. Okay? So Jesus is alive. He's alive in heaven today. He rose physically, bodily, and appeared, and then left his disciples, including us, with the job to get the message out to the rest of the world. Now, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead... uh, means something for us. What what the resurrection means to us as Christians uh, and as all people, actually, uh, it it immediately means these things to us. And the first is this, that Jesus died in our place, paying the penalty for our sins. He died in our place, paying the penalty for our sins. Let's, Let's think about this. He died in our place. He was our substitute. Okay, for for my sins, for your sins. Now, what are we talking about when we say sins? What do we mean? When we say the word sin, what we're talking about is anything that is contrary to what God would say is good and right. Okay? Uh, So we have like the Ten Commandments as a, a moral code that we know, right? We're not supposed to kill. We're not supposed to lie. We're not supposed to steal. We're not supposed to commit adultery. We're supposed to honor God above all else all the time. I mean, so any, any time and any place where we don't measure up to those things and, and, and you might say, well, you know, I haven't killed anybody. But Jesus says, have you ever been so angry with someone that you hated them? He says, then you can check the box of killing. Have you ever lusted after someone who wasn't your spouse? Check that box, adultery too. Okay. So Jesus makes it very clear that these things are things that happen in the heart first. And so we've all sinned. We've all failed, failed to measure up to those things, to God's standards. Uh, and so sin, if Jesus summed them all up and said, you remember what he said? He says, they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? What's the? And he sums them up. He says, well, the first is that you love God with your whole being, with all that you are. And that means your life is about him. And secondly, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Has there ever been a time when you treated yourself better than you treated other people? You see, we've all fallen short. So this idea, we had sins that we deserve to pay for. And, and if we have to pay for them, we, we pay for them in hell for all eternity. But Jesus, the perfect Son of God, came, lived a perfect and sinless life, and He He takes our place. He is our substitute. And by the way, the Bible, from the Old Testament all the way through, it, it talks about uh, uh, using symbols of substitutes for sin, okay? And Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And he died paying the penalty for our sins. A very, very wonderful thing that he did, okay? But he is our substitute. And if you still trying to get your head around substitute, I think we understand. I mean, you know what a substitute teacher is, right? Yeah. A teacher who takes the place of the regular teacher, how about in sports if you substitute a player in, right? They go in and they take somebody else's place. Well, that's what Jesus did for us with respect to sin and uh, sin in our lives. And, and Romans 8.32 says, this, that, talking about God, it says, He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. He came and died for our sins. Now, the, the reason that I say the resurrection brings this immediately to the forefront is because this is why he died. But if he had not risen, it's what? Are you with me on that, what Paul say? The Holy Spirit through Paul? If he has not risen, what? Our faith is futile, right? We're still in our sins. There is no sacrifice for sins. But the fact that he rose from the dead makes this truth a reality and immediately available to us. Uh, and then the second thing, that, this means that we can then be saved from the eternal penalty of our sins. And so the Bible tells us that all these things that are written. It says this in, in John chapter 20. said, these are written. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. God himself moving into you and your life. And what an amazing thing that is. And we're going to talk more about this in a little bit here. But first, I want to add some more to this. I mean, these two things, you know, Jesus died in our place, paying the penalty for our sins. We can be saved from the eternal penalty for our sins. Uh, Those are like right up there at the front. But there's so many other things that the fact that he's a risen Savior and what it means in our lives for all of us who are Christians here today. Uh, And so let's, let's talk about that. What a resurrected living Savior provides for us. And the first one is the presence of God inside you. Whew. Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever here felt extremely alone? Right? I think if you're a human being at some point in time you find yourself there very alone sometimes. But because Jesus is risen we can remember something at that point. If we've received Christ as Savior, we are what? Not alone. He is present with us, and I gotta tell you this, in the darkest hours of my life, it has been such a blessing to remember, he is present here, he has not left, he has not abandoned me, he has not forsaken me, which is what the scripture says, his spirit who dwells in you, he comes and moves into you when you receive Christ as Savior, and I am with you always, he says. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says in another place. What a precious, precious truth. But if Jesus just died and that was it, you don't have that, do you? But he did rise. And this is true for us. The second thing: the power, you have the power of God working in you. Not only working in you, but working through you. Uh, How powerful is God? That's the the right answer, right? (laughs) Omnipotent. He has the ability to do anything he should choose to do. Okay? Anything he would choose to do, he is able to do. And this is so important because, you know, we talk about sins, and I didn't talk a lot about them, but the idea is if if we want to start... Well, I was just talking with someone recently who said, talking about a difficult time in their life and they made recently some really bad decisions and all this kind of stuff and you start to feel like what's the hope because every time push comes to shove you know what I do seems like the wrong thing now that's not always true but you know we feel that way at that point don't we And so how do we make a change? How do we change these things? Well, when we receive Christ as Savior, he moves in, and then we have his power available to work in our lives. Um, In in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks, he says, that you may know, one of the things he wants them to know, that you may know, go ahead and go, yeah, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How much power does it take to raise somebody from the dead? We can't do it. Medical community can't do it when someone's actually died, done really dead died. Well, you understand what I mean, right? Because they can't raise anybody from the dead. Only God can raise someone from the dead. That is the kind of power that he has. And when the risen Christ moves in, when we receive Christ as Savior, guess what power is available to us to help us be transformed in our lives? A resurrection power. And so when we learn to cooperate with God and submit to him and trust him and all those things, that power goes to work inside of us. Third thing, we have the, you have the people of God around you. Because Jesus is alive, once again, if he wasn't alive, the disciples would have just gone their own ways. Everything would have been done, but it wasn't like that. And so you have the people of God around you. Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Um, How has he loved us? He's loved us without condition. He loved us. Before we came to Christ. He loves us after we come to Christ. Love each other that way. We accept one another. And so when you become a follower of Christ. You receive Jesus as Savior. Because he's risen. We can receive his Savior. We also get a family. We get a family. And, and is everybody in your family perfect? No. <laughs> Mine either. I know. Because I'm part of that family. Okay. So. Your church family is not perfect either. But guess what? They've been transformed by God. He's working in their lives. They have his love within them. And we can have this loving relationship with each other that can be better than your blood family. Okay? This is what's available to us because Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, And then uh, the fourth one, the perspective of God to guide you. We have that right here in his word. God has told us what the world is like. He told us what He is like. He told us what we need to believe and how we need to respond to Him. He's he's shown us. uh, The scripture in Psalm 119 says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How can we know? I mean, man, I think about my life and and the things I've learned in, in my relationships, the things I've learned in my parenting, the things I learned when it came to my money, the things I've learned when it came to how to work, all those kinds of things. Things that I learned from the Bible. And if I hadn't learned those, I'd be a mess. Okay, my life would be a mess. And so, but God has provided this with us and he's given us the Holy Spirit within us to help us to understand that word. And then then finally, I say finally, it's only finally on this list. The promises of God that he's made to you. Because Jesus is alive, he can keep these promises. Uh, One example of that is in the book of Hebrews. Uh, It tells us that Jesus is, is ever alive to make intercession for us, to pray for us, to But it's only because he's what? Alive. Because he's risen. And so we have these promises, these ongoing promises, because we have a risen Savior who is going to keep those promises. And and there are many promises. There's promises about him meeting your needs as you're seeking to serve him. Uh, About, uh, like we already talked about, being present in your life. Uh, Multiple promises from the scripture. But I just want to take a moment and talk about to me is one of the most powerful promises. And that's the promise of his love. His love. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul talks about it like this. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that's talking about the spiritual world, nor things present, nor things to come, nor a height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Has he left anything off the list? He's kind of captured it all, hasn't he? None of those things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He proved his love to us when he sent his son to die for us, didn't he? He proved his love for us. And he has proved it many, many times, again and again, I know in my own life, and shown me. You know what an amazing thing it is to—silly question. We're Christians, most of us here. They, you may not have received Christ as Savior yet, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But are we supposed to sin? Some of you guys aren't. Look, I don't know. Is that a trick question? It's <laughs> not. Let's try it again. Are Christians supposed to sin? No, we're supposed to learn not to sin, right? We're supposed to do better. All that kind of stuff. But we also all have the experience that we were so messed up by sin that we're still works in progress, right? And and some of us really works in progress, including myself. <laughs> but I find, I have found that those times when I feel I have failed, I haven't done, I have sinned, i and I I just feel like, you know, what's the hope? How many times do I gotta go through this? And I don't hear Jesus' words out loud. He doesn't talk to me like that. But I tell you, he brings very clearly to my mind, this is why I came. This is why I died. I knew this. And I died for you. And this sin has already been paid for. Okay. Let's go forward. Unconditional acceptance and love. And, and when I do sin, the Lord isn't happy about that. He doesn't want me to sin. But it does not change how he feels about me. You know, he says, Walt, that you, okay, Walt? Well, I, I think God, you know, I don't know if God makes faces or not. but I got to think he does. You know, I do something, he goes, oh, man. But he says, okay, Walt, come on, this is why I came. Now let's go forward. Come on, let's go forward. Never rejects us. We can reject him and push him back. I mean, see, you may waver in this, but he won't. When it comes to loving acceptance, you might waver, but he won't. He's always there. What an amazing thing. And so I want to say to all of you today here who are believers in Christ, you, how, how many of you would say here today, yes, I know for a fact that I, I made that decision. I received Christ as Savior and received His forgiveness in His life. And, you know, I have that relationship. How many of you would say, yes, I've done that? Yeah, okay, all over the place. So I want to talk to you who just raised your hands. And, and I've reworded the scripture just a little bit, but it's consistent with what the word is saying. Okay. In second Peter. go ahead, if you go. There. there should be a verse there. It says, "Therefore, since all these things are true, is that in there, Eduardo? It's not. Okay, so just listen. Peter said, "Therefore, since all these things are true, all these things we've already talked about, and all the things of the word, since these things are all true, what manner of persons ought you to be?" in holy conduct and godliness. I mean, when you consider all that God has done for us and is still doing and has promised to do, shouldn't that affect how we live our lives? And so I want to challenge you today, Christians. If you you know all these things, but you're still doing your own thing, you're not surrendered to the Lord in certain areas of your life. You, you know you aren't, and you, maybe you're saying no, and you don't want maybe God to get too much. Whatever, if that's you, let me challenge you. The very best decision you could ever, ever make would be to say to God today, okay, God, I know that I have not been where I'm supposed to be in my thinking, in my actions, whatever. I, I know that uh, I haven't been living the kind of life that I ought to live because these things are true. Lord, right now, I surrender to you in that. I, I, I want to be different. I want to change. I can't do that on my own. I need your help. And he's already promised that. But would you do that today? You know, there's no better decision you can make. There is no better decision you can make. What if I said it one more time? There is no better decision you can make in your life for, for what God made you for and which, what is going to eventually bring you the greatest satisfaction and meaning and purpose and reward in heaven. And all this other stuff is gonna be wasted. Don't waste it, right? Give your life to the Lord and each and every day, get up and, and, and yield yourself to Him again. Say, Lord, help me, I wanna live for you this day. And, and uh, make that decision. And then I would talk for a little bit to those of you who maybe didn't feel like you could raise your hand for some reason. Uh, And that's fine. We were all there at some point in time. I'm going to encourage you to receive Christ as Savior. So what in the world do I mean by that? How do we receive Christ as Savior? Well, the first thing is this. You've got to agree with the facts about ourselves and about Jesus. You have to come to agree with that. And don't, don't raise your hands here, but do you agree that sometimes you do what you know you ought not do? Do you agree that there are times when you, you don't do what you know you ought to do? Things that God would call sins. Do you know that? Now you don't have to look very long at yourself to figure that one out. We do know. We have sinned against a holy God. And, and God hates sin because sin destroys people. He hates sin, but he loves us, which is why he sent Jesus to die for our sins. Okay, but so what you have to come to realize is you do need a Savior. Because if you die separated from God, and by the way, you can say, oh, I believe God exists, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you've received Christ as Savior and he's moved in. If you die without that happening in your life, the Bible says that you will end up in hell Forever. Paying the penalty for those sins. And that's heavy. That's hard. But it's true. So we need to agree with those facts that we need a Savior. Without a Savior, we are doomed. Okay? And then we need to agree with the facts about Jesus that Jesus was indeed who the Bible says he was, that he is the Lord, he's the one who is over all. He is the one who died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. So he's the one who rose again from the dead. We have to have these basic facts that we agree with. And you might say, well, I don't know all about that. You don't have to know all about it. You just have to say, okay, I know that, and I'm gonna trust, okay? And that brings us to the second thing that has to happen. Uh, actually, let me read this verse for you. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. And then the scripture says in Romans 10, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And so do you believe that Jesus is Lord? That's the question I'd ask you. You, If you say yes, I believe that he is. And this is, and then if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Okay, those are the facts that you have to agree with. All right, then second thing is this. You must make a conscious, purposeful decision to trust Jesus and Jesus alone as Savior. So you come to that point. I've sinned against a holy God. My sins have separated me from God. If I die in this condition, I'll be separated from God forever in hell. I believe that Jesus is who the Bible said he was. He's the Lord. He's the one who died for our sins and rose again. Then a conscious, purposeful decision that right now I am choosing to trust Jesus as my Savior. I want to accept his payment for the penalty for my sins. I want the eternal life that only he can give. I am... am, turning away from everything else in my life that I might think could make things right. Church membership can't make you right with God. Getting baptized cannot make you right with God. Giving money cannot make you... There's nothing you can do to take care of your sin problem except receive Jesus as Savior. There is no other option. And then when we do that, the scripture is quite clear. Romans 3.23 says, for... That's just actually should say Romans 10, 13, sorry. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What good news that is. So if you can envision it this way, let's say, and I know you have to use your imagination on this one, but let's say that you had swindled, you know, maybe the pension fund, millions and millions of dollars from people, and then you had managed to spend it and lose it all, and then they came and found you. The police came and found you, and they arrest you. You go to court, you go on trial. There's absolutely no defense that you can make. They have all the proof, and so you are found guilty. You are guilty, and you stand before the judge, and he's ready to pronounce the sentence. And he says, the sentence here is, you gotta go to jail. Until you've paid it all back. Uh, if I'm in jail, how am I going to pay it all back? The point is you can't. It's impossible. And then the judge steps away from his seat. And he comes down and talks to you. And he says, hey, listen. I will pay this off for you. You have to accept the check. You have to take it. And, and then once you, if I give you the check and you accept it, it's paid off, you'll be free, but I want you to come work for me. I got things for you to do and I want you to do that. So, do you want the check? Could you imagine saying, no. Nah. <laughs> Could you imagine not saying, I want to go to work for this guy, he's paid my debt. Well, when Jesus died on the cross and paid the debt and now God is offering to you today here's the check and I want you to come you're part of my family you'll be part of my family I want you to serve with me I want all that but all you got to do is just accept the check let's bow our heads please everyone bow your head no one looking around if you're here today and you say man that's that's me I, I don't have a relationship with God in that way I've never received Jesus Savior but I want to I want to settle this once and for all I want to accept that check that the Lord has written for me if that's the case in just a moment I'm going to pray I'm going to lead you in prayer you can pray silently just pray in your heart and mind God knows what you're saying and what you're thinking and you mean it in your heart to the Lord let's right now just pray with me say something like this say dear God I know that I have sinned. And I know that my sins have separated me from you. And if I know, if I die like this, I'll go to hell. And I don't want that. I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that he's the Lord. I believe that he died for my sins and rose again. And right now, I receive Christ as my Savior. Right now, I put my trust in Him to provide me that forgiveness in eternal life. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. The Bible's very clear that if you, out of the sincerity of your heart, said something like that to God just now, that he has now forgiven every sin you ever have or ever will commit. He has uh, given you eternal life. When this life is over, you go to heaven. And he has moved in. He's moved in. And he's going to work on you, helping you to change from the inside out. Such good news. With nobody looking around, I just want to ask, uh, if you prayed with me today, no eyes are going on, but I'd like to see because I'd like to pray for you in a moment. If you just prayed with me to receive Christ as Savior, would you just raise your hand? Just put it up. Yes, I see those. Yes, I see those. Yep, those. Yep, others? Anybody else? All right, Father, thank you so much for these who have raised their hands today, indicating they have received your Son as Savior. I pray, Father, that you would just make this so real in their lives. Uh, that they will be motivated to learn and to grow and to uh, go forward with you and with your people here. I just thank you for that, Lord. None of us deserve it, and yet you have loved us and provided us a way to be saved. So thank you for your working in the hearts and minds of these people here today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Lysa's church, I saw at least eight people today who indicated they received Christ as Savior. So we would love to help you with that decision. You've made it. What does it mean in your life? Out in the foyer, there's a place. You'll see a big sign on the wall that says the path. If you want to stop by out there, maybe you don't have a Bible, whatever, we can help you get started on, in this new life that you have just received from Jesus. Okay. All right, I'm going to ask our choir and our singers, musicians to come back up. And as they do, I want you guys to try to focus in with me here. Just some scriptures. You know, Jesus is obviously the central focus of Christianity, right? After he left... um, who he is, what his name means and represents to us. Let's just read some verses. Acts chapter four, says, then Peter, Peter has just healed somebody. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by Him, this man is here or stands here before you whole. And then later, the Apostle Paul said this in Acts: "Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." And then Jesus said, "Whoever receives one of these little, one, little children in My name receives Me, for where two or three are gathered together in My name." I am there in the midst of them. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And then in Matthew, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And then Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, says the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, In my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. And then in Philippians, elevating Christ above all, he says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The name of Jesus means so much, doesn't it? So much power in what's behind that name.